Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. He's covered the big events and talked to the biggest names in sports for more than three decades. Breeze end zone. He hit it. 500 career touchdown passes. From Super Bowls to the World Series, he's been there, he'll be there, and he's here now for CMI, the Chris Myers Interview. You're listening to the Chris Myers Interview on Podcast One. We're talking with Dan Fouts, the Hall of Famer, longtime broadcaster, and had a career of 15 years, all with one team, though then... San Diego Chargers. Uh, Dan, how, how you holding up this year? It's been kind of a it's been kind of a strange year. We still got a ways to go here. It's a lot that could happen. Yeah, that's right, uh, Chris. We're just trying to be safe and smart and and uh, you know diligent. Uh, the big thing is shrinking the bubble as much as possible and and protecting ourselves. You know, when you're the age advanced age that I am, you know, we got to be concerned about this thing. It's not it's no laughing matter. Uh, it's just um, something we got to. Hope and pray that uh, we find a vaccine that works someday. Are you surprised at the way the bubble has worked as we're talking with the NBA, NHL, and even how baseball has gone through, obviously not in the bubble like the NFL, because at least at this time, given the circumstances, still go forward with some kind of season, and, and we're all expecting the adjustments based on, on what we've seen. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, you look at the NBA and the NHL, and the discipline involved there is, is pretty extraordinary for these young men and uh, their ability to, you know, their desire to play is uh, what is uh, helping them with making the proper decisions. So uh, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, now football is a, is a different story, um, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. If you had a son who, you know, again, you played your college football at Oregon and we see some conferences playing or talking about it. Some have made the decision early not to, Players would they're signing petitions. Uh, uh, certain parents are, are representing their children, getting involved. We understand amateur athlete liability, but do you think that the the college football, the student athlete, let's just say as it relates to football, should have a choice in in the matter? Well, you know, I think that um, you know, there's a lot of things where we don't have a choice in the matter. You know, I mean, you can go back to you know just wearing seatbelts. Uh, that's that's a law, and uh, you don't have a choice there. Um, and, and there's a lot of things like that. Um, you know, this is a, an unprecedented uh, virus, and uh, we're learning more about it every day. And until we know everything we have to know about it, uh, no, none of us are safe. Uh, I don't know if you read the Bill Plasky uh, article the other day, but uh, here's a guy, the well-known sports writer, uh, who's doing everything right. And uh, uh, was not, uh, you know, let his guard down one time, and he got the virus. Thank, thankfully, he got over it. I don't know if you're familiar with that story or not, Chris. Yes, but it's pretty amazing. And familiar with right with Bill, and that's and that's the uncertainty of it all. Let's then just pretend that this is another NFL season. We know it's not. We'll make adjustments. But given your experience having played and as a broadcaster, if if the teams are equal in a normal season and you get a quarterback to lead you through this season to win it all for you, who's going to be your, who's going to be your first choice? <laughs> well, I think you got to go with the, uh, the Super Bowl champ, don't you? I always like to start <laughs> at the top. And, uh, you know, Mahomes uh, and what the Chiefs did last year, just a magical season. Uh, but there's a couple of guys, obviously, to keep your eye on, and, and uh, both young and old. So I think that's what 
you know, makes a regular season, if it is as much close to regular as we can possibly get, it makes it kind of exciting. But uh, again, there's always the the threat of the virus and, and you know, the quarantine after the virus. I mean, it, it, we still don't have answers for all those uh, type of scenarios. You're talking about having a quarantine quarterback, and you're right, like in a normal season with health or injury, having a, a backup, you know, Matt Morris in the last year, when Mahomes right. there was some some injury, but just uh, let's focus on on his what you I mean at, at 24 obviously to have done what he's already done, and uh, but you were a third round draft pick transformed a Charger team at a different time. He wasn't even the number one overall, but obviously people valued him in, in Kansas City. What, is it his combination? And we've seen this with Russell Wilson of of his play, being able to throw the ball as a professional quarterback, but also the mobility. And, and the sense to know the difference of when to use either. What is it that stands out about, about Patrick Mahomes specifically? Well, number one, I think you look at uh, his physical talent, um, uh, what the type of athlete he is and, and how smart he is. And, you know, being the son of a professional player, uh, he was never in awe of uh, whether he was a star quarterback uh, in college or high school and now in the NFL. And then you, you mix in the, you know, obviously the system works. Uh, Andy Reid's system uh, is uh, is huge. A uh, lot of different plays and a lot of different formations and movements and combinations, and then the talent uh, with those combinations is is uh, you know out of this out of this world. I mean, you got the best tight end in the game, uh, and you've got the fastest guy in the game. So uh, it's a lot of lot of weapons for Mahomes, and he uses them well. Now, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore went far, but where, where are the? If you're comparing him and a Mahomes, not, not necessarily their system or their coaches, but but the the two of them as an NFL quarterback, what 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 is the big jump or advantage for for Mahomes that you see, or where does Lamar Jackson have? What does he have to do to get to that next step? I think Lamar just has to continue to to uh, play. You know, he's a young quarterback and. Uh, he's the best running quarterback I think we've ever seen in the league. And for them to build on that part of the game, obviously, uh, while working uh, with the mechanics of, of being a drop-back quarterback, uh, all those things, um, is you know, he needs that and he needs experience. Um, he came up short uh, in the playoffs, but, uh, you know, he's very dedicated to his uh, position. He wants to be great. Uh, and as I said, it, there's no more dynamic runner uh, right. in the quarterback position as he. But you, you've seen enough of him that, that you're convinced he could be a, uh, I don't know, pocket passer. We're not going to ch- change him, but that he could be a successful long-term thrower in the in the NFL. We've seen running quarterbacks before that that, that have kind of fizzled out. Uh, but obviously, a guy like Mahomes and, and Russell Wilson have shown they can run as, as well as complete the deep ball or, or the right. necessary passes. Right, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, as I said, he's young. He's just a couple of years in the league and, um, you know, more experience uh, from the pocket, making him comfortable in the pocket. Uh, and if you're the defensive coordinator facing him, uh, what type of defense do you run? Uh, you can't really play man-to-man unless you have somebody spying on Jackson. And whoever's spying on him isn't going to be good enough to stop him. <laughs> so it's a real dilemma for any defense going up against Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and he's only 24, so you can't you can't say he's a Hall of Famer, right? You have to say he's on his way to to the Hall of Fame for a guy like Mahomes, right? If we're going back in his direction. 
Well, um, it's a long road to the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't put that pressure on any young quarterback or any young player because uh, um, it's not it's not easy. And, uh, you know, he's obviously well on his way, winning a Super Bowl and being uh, the highest paid player and all these things. But as you said, he's just 24. Yeah, and I, you know, Dad, I, I don't remember an off season. Well, we never had an off season where the MVP went of the, you know, the, a guy who was a, a Super Bowl six-time Super Bowl champion, I should say, uh, like Tom Brady. Uh, you know, from one team to another, uh, like we've seen in Tampa Bay, but also Philip Rivers moving on from the Chargers. You know, Nick Foles going into Chicago, Cam Newton on on to New England. Uh, just a lot of changes with 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 top flight quarterbacks first of all did it surprise you that, that i know we've had some time to let this digest but I, I, there's some there's got to be something else beneath the surface of the tom brady bill belichick breakup at this stage of, of, of brady's career at age 43 well you know the amazing thing when you talk about all those quarterbacks changing teams chris who is on the team he left is going to be better than him <laughs> you know <laughs> is, is somebody going to be better than Better than Philip Rivers for the for the Chargers. Better than Tom Brady for the Patriots. It's just not going to happen. So those teams that have lost these great quarterbacks have got a tremendous adjustment to make in many many ways. Uh, so you know it's interesting to see. You know part of it is obviously the the, the money part of it and and uh, age and all of those uh, those those type of numbers. But still, I, I think about the teams that uh, these great players have left. Yeah, yeah, the changes. Speaking of money, by the way, did you make? Have you made more money in broadcasting than you did when you played in the NFL? Your fifteen years is that a, is that a fair question? <laughs> <laughs> well, it took me a while. I was in broadcasting for thirty-two years, so double the double the fifteen. But you know, I was the uh, highest-paid player in the NFL for about a week back in nineteen eighty-six or so. And uh, you know, uh, my first contract um, coming out of Oregon as a third-round pick, the sixty-fourth player. Chosen was for twenty three thousand, so I I was worth every penny. <laughs> you turn, yeah, it, it, it took a lot. No, the reason I bring that up just the the amount of money today, right? That I mean, I, I realize everything is relative and different, but but the it's just the what the value of franchises are and what what players are are being paid, and with Mahomes getting the the, the deal he got. Uh, it's it's absolutely amazing, and and then you have situations, and that's where I wonder. You said the money. I wonder with with Brady, was it more? You think it more just about uh, you know seeing what he could do without Bill Belichick and out of New England, where it all happened for him. Another guy who was not you know highly drafted or highly anticipated coming out of college, and I guess it it, it makes me wonder. And I I don't know if this is a fair question, Dan, but it's what I'd like to ask anyway. Of you know who does better without the other guy? You know, is it Bill Belichick or or Tom Brady? That's a, that is uh, something that's going to be fun to watch because remember, Belichick's got to pick among three or four guys to try to be the starting quarterback, yeah. and yeah. and with as difficult as the training camp and and all the protocols, um, you know, uh, Belichick and the Patriots, that's a real challenge for them. Uh, what I think is going to be interesting, Chris, is how Bruce Arians is going to handle Tom Brady. Is he going to make Tom learn his offense? Or is he going to accept Tom's experience and Tom's uh, preference in offense uh, to take over? Now, that would be what I would do if I was Arians because you know, this guy's bringing six Super Bowl uh, rings and you don't want to teach that old dog new tricks. Yep. 
And he's got a lot around him. And uh, does, has Brady, I tell you, I look at him and he's taking care of himself and covering him closely in, in a few of the Super Bowls that Fox broadcast with, with the Patriots, that sideline and, and, and their success, including the, the comeback against the, the Falcons, which was amazing. But he, he doesn't look, and you tell me, obviously age, there's some of that. He was never a fast runner, uh, you know, a pocket passer. But, but I don't see anything, at least as we go into this year, any kind of loss of arm strength or anything like that. And he's never really had, you tell me if you agree with this, and he, and he really, you know, he had Randy Moss, but he's never had like the, a set of outstanding receivers a, a, along the way. You know, there's guys here or there, and it's more about, I guess, the system and the way him and him and the Patriots have played it. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's a system that, uh, you know, obviously Josh McDaniels and, and Belichick have, and Brady have, have put together to win those six Super Bowls. And and to be in the other ones that they did not win. So uh, you're right about the fact that, you know, you know, Randy Moss is, is uh, you know, the, the one guy you would say, yeah, he was, uh, you know, the best receiver he ever threw to. But, you know, what they did is they threw a lot, obviously, to the tight end and to the slot receivers. When you go back to, uh, you know, Welker and, and uh, you know, with, with Edelman as well. So uh, finding, fi- yeah, Gronkowski, finding, you know, the, the way to, isolate those guys on linebackers and over the middle uh, where you don't really, uh, you know, have to throw it to your wide receivers as much. Yeah. Is he, so the you know, best quarterback of all time, it's fun debate, you know, in, in let's say the Super Bowl or the modern era, because he's won six, right. And, and, you know, Troy Aikman's won three. It is, a, it is a measuring stick. You, Dan Marino, guys in the hall of fame, I think I can go back to Fran Tarkenton that, uh, you know, did not win a Super Bowl, but certainly put up de- deserving numbers. How, how do you figure that, Dan, as a, as a Hall of Fame member, too? And you, I think you have votes on certain committees, and there's now Veterans Committee. But how much do you weigh the numbers, especially the way that, right, the, 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 the rules have changed with passing the ball and yardage and uh, versus guys who, who, who won Super Bowls? And, yes, it's all about winning, but sometimes it's not all on the quarterback. Uh, how, how do you measure that when you're talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback? Well, I think, you know, you, you mentioned winning is everything. That's why we play is to win. So, uh, you know, it always gets down to a debate. Uh, I remember when Montana was winning everything and, and everybody was saying he was the greatest of all time. And, and uh, before that, there was Johnny Unitas and uh, he was the greatest of all time because of uh, his successes. And, you know, Otto Graham, it, it's it really it comes down to who he liked watching play. <laughs> and if you like if you like the numbers and the excitement, that was your guy. If you like the winning and the Super Bowls, that was your guy. So if it's a debate class, I mean, how do you how do you not say Tom Brady's the best? Or how about Terry Bradshaw and, and what he did? Right, four four Super you know, Bowls, right? Absolutely. You say different different eras, Dan, right, Dan, where the you know, obviously you could maul a quarterback one and, and you couldn't touch a receiver. So that opens up the passing. When you compare the numbers, I think it gets a little bit difficult. Oh, no question. I mean, uh, you know, the, the numbers really uh, not, I'm not, I don't want to say they're less important, uh, but there's just so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and you uh, going back and you're from, you led the NFL in passing four straight years and you were the first, a 4,000 yard passer for, for three consecutive seasons, which is kind of, uh, you know, and when you retired, you were one of only three quarterbacks who had passed for more than 40,000 40, yards. So you see the numbers have changed. I bring that up because I think of a guy like Matt Ryan, right, whose career's not over, 
I see his numbers. You know, Kurt Warner's in the Hall of Fame. I, I, to me, like you said, you, you see a guy play. I've watched him. I, I don't know what, what other people think about him. We, that Super Bowl was a tough moment. wasn't on him. But I, I think he's a Hall of Famer if, if he wraps up his career. And I don't. People say, well, he needs a Super Bowl win to secure that. I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, a Super Bowl win would put the cherry on top. There's no question. But uh, does a Sunday still taste good? Okay, save that for one of your one of your broadcasts on the. uh, You you know the other thing. The other thing, Chris, is those maraschino cherries are bad for your system. Oh, they are. Okay, (laughs) they could clog things up. I guess that's that's one of those things. Uh, Well, I I want to talk a little bit about, and I I think this is a big deal with me as just a fan. I don't know how important. Well, you know, you think of with you all all those years with the San Diego Chargers, one franchise, and yet you had success going to championship games. We're talking about individual success too, but you're, you know, Cal Ripken Jr. and Magic Johnson or Emmett Smith, guys who were their entire career with. How important was that for for you? I, I know it was a different time than with free agency, but to be able to play your entire career with one organization. Well, San Diego is a special city. Uh, it's it, geographically, it's almost on an island because you've got Mexico to the south, the desert to the north. You've got. L.A. and Orange County to the or the desert to the east, rather, and then L.A. north and the oceans on the west side. So uh, it, it was very isolated, uh, kind of a sleepy uh, retirement Navy town back in the early 70s when I first got there. And what Don Coriel did for that uh, city, first at San Diego State and then with the Chargers, was really give uh, people a lot of excitement and, and, and the city itself a, a big league identity. Uh, and uh you know watching the chargers i hear this so often from my friends and and fans from back east that oh we tuned in that uh, late game every sunday and we'd see you guys playing in 80 degree weather in san diego and you know i'm sure that a lot of them moved out to san diego and southern california but uh it was a special time i'm very honored to have played for those fans yeah, and are you angry, disappointed for whoever is to blame that there isn't an NFL team? I know a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of media people have gone to Super Bowls and covered Charger games over the years despite the aging stadium, that they're disappointed that there isn't an NFL team there. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, an expansion team or an existing team would, uh, would love to move in there, but they'd have to build a stadium because the city's not going to do it, so... Uh, it was very frustrating for so many years, the talk of, you know, the city and the, and the ownership not being able to strike a deal. So uh, am I angry? Well, I guess I'm over it. Uh, uh, but again, uh, it, it, it just is strange, um, you know, for the San Diego Chargers to no longer exist. Yeah, right. That that's lost, and even though the L.A. Chargers are now playing in the same stadium as as, as the Los Angeles Rams, the the new SoFi Stadium. I want to go back, as you mentioned, uh, Don Coriel and 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 Bill Walsh, who people know the, the great coach was part of that, right? With with you when you were drafted, and that that and is vertical here West Coast offense, but really vertical offense. Is that was that Don Coriel? Did he really invent that? Is that is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill Walsh was my offense coordinator in 1976. He was passed over by Paul Brown for the head coaching job in Cincinnati. And so he, he got out of there, came to San Diego and and really was influential in building uh, my foundation as a quarterback. And then two years later, uh, Coriel came in Uh, Walsh's offense at the time. And, and, you know, the West coast is a horizontal type of offense and, and it's moving the chains and, 
timing and all those things. And when Coriel got there, he he knew that I liked a lot of the things that uh, we did with Walsh. And so he incorporated it into his vertical passing game. So basically, Chris, we covered the entire field. And that's why we were we had the success we did based based upon the, the threat. You always have to have the threat of going deep to back the defense off. And then you could hit underneath and, and throw that horizontal game. And that, that threat uh, produced a lot of success. You were the NFL's most valuable player in, in 82, uh, all-decade team uh, in, in the 80s. You know, I, and I, I mentioned that you were all your entire career in one place. When I see what happened with Joe Montana, you mentioned you know, guys like you know, even Joe Namath at the end of his career uh, that have changed teams, even Brett Favre more recently. And, and now the, the buzz around the Packers drafting Jordan Love and having Aaron Rodgers in place, which I, I don't think it's a story right now, I, I, obviously because of the draft, but I, he's a, a guy who's probably a couple of years away. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that situation in, in terms of uh, is that smart <laughs> planning or is, if, if, is it Aaron Rodgers or you're creating a storm you don't need? Well, again, it goes back to uh, an earlier statement I said: is 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 love going to be better than Rodgers? Well, no, right, not right now. Okay, right? That's an absolute that he can't be right now. No, but I mean, even two or three years from oh, now. I mean, okay. the, the the experience that a Rodgers has um, is something that takes years to get. Remember how long he sat behind Favre, and. <laughs> He didn't get that experience sitting behind Favre. He got it playing. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to follow that situation because, you know, as we all know, Aaron is his own man. And <laughs> yes. yeah. I, I love him for that. Yeah. he's. I mean, he's a yeah, smart guy. He, he knows, uh, you know, he thinks things through, which leads us to that quarterback <laughs> position and the leadership role that's thrown upon you. Uh, whether you like it or not, right? When you when you come in, and you can relate it to your situation or players of of today, uh, Dan. That, that uh, some guys are comfortable with that, some are not. I mean, you can be a vocal leader, a Dan Marino type, right? You can be the quiet uh, Montana type. Um, uh, how do you, how do you find your way in in that? Either using your own experience or watching guys that you've seen do it well. What's the best way to do it other than say, "Hey, be yourself." I guess if you produce that, probably at, at that position. That gets people his attention, but then you see young quarterbacks who kind of overplay that and don't produce, and it backfires on. Well, absolutely, um, it, the production is what's most important. It's easy to lead when you're you're throwing touchdown passes and converting on third down. Uh, I don't care how vocal you are if if you can't hit the broad side of a barn, and nobody's going to follow you, no matter how much you you talk. So uh, you've got to perform. You've got to show the guys in that huddle that every time you break that huddle, they believe in you and they believe in the play and they believe you're going to make it a success. So uh, to me, uh, you know, if you don't enjoy the leadership part of playing quarterback, uh, go become a kicker. (laughs) Wow. Don't play the position. Okay. Do you ever, did you ever work? How about calling out a guy and nobody likes that, but sometimes you could do that strategically, just like a coach does as a quarterback. Would, would you do that? Not, not necessarily publicly on a newspaper, but maybe on a field, either in practice or, or in a game, a certain receiver. Did you have a, a, a code on that? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's like the coach says, you treat everybody the same. You treat them differently. <laughs> so, <laughs> you just got to find out what, what, turns them on what what makes them perform better um i had a you know a couple of times with 
the great Kellen Winslow Sr. Uh, the times where I felt that uh, he he was it was he was coming off a knee injury, and he uh, the coaches thought came to me in the preseason and said we got to make a decision on Kellen whether to put him on IR or to to keep him on the roster. We we got to get him fired up here, and it was a last preseason game, and so I got him fired up, <laughs> and you know what happened? Uh, Kellen made the Pro Bowl that year, so uh, they're just you know, and, and we're the, you know, the best of friends and, and uh, we laugh about it now, but, you know, it, it got a lot of play by NFL films, but, you know, that's just part of playing the position. You yeah, got to know your teammates. Yeah. Part, like I said, the, the leadership, speaking of Kevin Winslow and that, and, and as a, as a football fan, before I got to know you later years as a, as a broadcaster, really admired the way you, you know, you threw the football and, and, and your offenses were exciting, but, but that 80, you go back to that, uh, it's, uh, the Dolphins, Kellen Winslow had that tr- tremendous game and, and uh, over it, it was the humidity in South Florida. And then, and then you go yeah. to the other extreme where, and I don't know, the temperature has been exaggerated in Cincinnati. What, what do you, do you go with 59 below uh, zero wind chill in that game? The, uh, the, the title game? Uh, I think, it, I think it was 159 below zero wind chill. <laughs> That's how it felt. Well, let me first just get your, and we, I know we, we can't spend all day, but let me give me your capsule comment on that dolphin game. And then, and then we'll get to the, the, the extreme temperature and then this thing because against the Dolphins you win that game and then it was it was unfortunate for you guys with with Cincinnati but what what stands out about other than Winslow's performance you had a terrific performance in that game too I recall well it, the thing that stood out to me uh, immediately after the game was how clean my uniform was because I think we threw it over 50 times and I only got sacked maybe once or twice and um, so the offensive line you know did a great job uh, just a a funny story that happened after the winning field goal by Rolf Minerska. Uh Ed White, my offensive uh, right guard, and Louis Kelcher, our defensive tackle, were on the uh, field goal team, and they're blocking for Bernerska on the field goal team. They see the ball go through the upright, and they're laying there on the ground, totally exhausted. And they look down the field, and they see Winslow with the cameras, and everybody's guys are carrying him off the field. And, and uh, Louis said to Ed, he says, uh, Louis – uh, Ed, we we got to get up off the ground ourselves. Nobody carries fat guys off the field. So <laughs> that was the, uh, you know, really, to me, epitomized uh, how exhausted everybody was that day. The exhaustion, beating, you know, the Super Dolphin teams, that 41-38 final. Uh, and you were, you were 33 of 53, uh, 433 yards, three touchdowns. It was a hot, humid, and those were NFL postseason records, franchise records, you know, at, at the time. And then, and then the disappointment, and again, a chance uh, to get to a Super Bowl. But you go to, especially, and you talked about the nice weather. You're playing in San Diego. You go from, from those extremes. But when you, when you play that title game with the Bengals in, in Cincinnati, uh, just even going into that, you had to be, you know, just like, how are we going to do this? It had to play on your head a little bit before it actually <laughs> froze your body. Well, you know, the thing that uh, people don't realize is that when – we fly back to San Diego and, and we prepared for Cincinnati all week in perfect weather. So we got our work in, we were ready for that game. Um, and if it wasn't for a couple of dumb interceptions, the quarterback of the chargers threw, we probably would have won that game. Well, we don't but, have to, uh, <laughs> it was, did well, your grip, no, by the way, did your grip on the ball? Is that affected by the cold? I mean, the cold weather, it would seem like it would be, I'm not looking for an excuse here, but, but things were a little bit different. <laughs> You can look all you want because they're there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the thing was is that Kenny Anderson was awesome, okay? And he, 
he, he was a great quarterback. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, he, he threw spirals, and I threw ducks, and I uh, didn't throw Oregon ducks. They were flo- floating all over the place. <laughs> but it was a, uh, a tough loss for you guys. By the way, 19 school records at, at or when you played at, at Oregon. Uh, you're quite an accomplishment back at, at, at the time. So I... Does it? Does it? I hate to use this word, Dad. I'm sure you've been asked because your Hall of Fame speech. I remember, and I, I think this is where I saw that quote. And I pulled it up where you said, "Hey, man, I got it made. I, I got no worries. All I have to do is go out every day and, and play football. How can anybody complain about that?" And, and that kind of, uh, I, I think, if I have the quote accurate, embodies uh, your approach to it all. But disappointment or deeper than that. And they ask, you know, we asked Charles Barkley about this, or Patrick Ewing, guys who great players who you know just didn't get that that ring um is is that something that bothers you to this day or you know you got over it like you did the chargers moving out of san diego well i i'm probably not over any of that stuff you know i mean i still wish the chargers were in san diego and i wish that i had played better in a couple of games that uh you know we we could have won and and maybe won a super bowl but in the long run you you just you tee it up you play as hard as you can and if, if it's good enough it's good enough um but uh, you, you can't belittle or or uh, make less important how well your opponents played in those games too. So um, you know, as as a you know competitor, you want to win every game, and you want, especially want to win the last game of the year. Don't blame you for that. You did go uh, kind of a second career, as we mentioned, in broadcasting through uh, mm-hmm. CBS, uh, even a, a stint at college football, ABC with Brad Musburger, and uh, Monday Night Football with, with uh, Dennis Miller. Uh, how, how was the transition? Did you enjoy the broadcast side of things? Was it, was it a tough transition? transition for you today we see things you know, this it's only Romo's success I mean obviously Troy Aikman's entrenched as a, as a top analyst for quite a while and how about Drew Brees already playing with the Saints as a deal in place with NBC to broadcast in some form after he decides to retire it could be a year it could be two um, so it, the the broadcast game has it changed a little bit from your side of things as an analyst well um Seeing as I'm unemployed, it's changed quite a bit. <laughs> well, at the moment, yes. At the moment, you're no longer with CBS, but you're still a broadcaster. You've you know, done a lot of games over the years, and that's one of the reasons for well, having to talk to you. I still put it on the applications, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll see if we can help you out. We know people. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, uh, the thing for me is that I grew up in broadcasting. My dad was the voice of the 49ers for 20 years, and I sat – next to him in Kizar Stadium press box, uh, keeping his stats uh, in high school. And then I got to be a ball boy uh, for the 49ers on the sidelines. And you know, just the other day on Friday, I got to call my old friend John Brody and wish him a happy 85th birthday. So wow. uh, football has been in my life uh, since I was born and broadcasting has, has been a part of it too. So I was always, uh, I kind of joked that, you know, I'd, I'd be, out on the field and we need a touchdown and we're 80 yards away and it's two minutes to go in the game. I'd look up and I'd see Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson in the box. And I'd say, boy, that looks like a pretty cushy job up there compared to what's facing me right now. So I was always interested in trying it. And, uh, yeah, for 32 years, I had a great time and, uh, the best partners in the history of broadcasting. Uh, and, you know, I'm very grateful for that. 
What, what, what stands out about Monday Night Football getting that platform when at the time it, it was the, the showcase, uh, you know, before there was Sunday Night Football and Thursday Night Football? Well, it was an awesome experience. Uh, there's no question. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, a little bit different having a comedian in the box. Yeah, that was, yeah, I, I mean, that was kind of, you get uh, trying something new, that, that kind of had to be a little bit, and he's funny, uh, but <laughs> but that was a different, uh, there had to be some adjustments on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first time, you know, I got the job, and I said, well, who's the third guy? And they wouldn't tell me. They oh. said, this is, this is a take it or leave it deal, uh, and we'll tell you after you sign, if you sign, who your third guy is. And I, I was anxious to just work with Al Michaels. Basically I would, right. you know, he's awesome. Absolutely yes. awesome. Uh, and, and Dennis, you know, he tried, he, you know, I thought that at times uh, he showed what a fan he was. And then other times, uh, you know, I was losing my hair, scratching my head so much. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, you know, you have a sense of humor anyway. And I mean, you know, uh, yeah, some of, some of Dennis's humor, you have to, it takes a while to, to figure it out or sink it in. And as you know, calling games that the key for all of us analysts play is getting your thoughts in between the snap of the ball because the game is the thing, you know, right? We work around the game. And that's what I wanted to ask you. What would be your best advice uh, for a, a guy coming out of an, a former player who who's, who's, hasn't done this before but is getting an opportunity uh, to, to call games? What would you uh, – is there a simple line or two that you would give him? Well, I think um... – I would just watch the best in the business now and try to copy them right. and uh, find that rhythm and, okay. and um, you know, work with your play-by-play guy uh, and get to know him and get to know uh, what he likes uh, as far as space uh, in the broadcast and uh, how much, uh, you know, how much can you get away with. And, and obviously, a lot of it has to do with your producer and your director, too. Correct. And Absolutely. the team that you're on and, and how well you all work together. Right. You mentioned Al Michaels, uh, outstanding. Anybody else jump out as, as some people you've worked with that you really enjoyed? Uh, you know, in a way, I enjoyed all of them. I started, I started basically with Dick Stockton. I worked with Vern Lundquist. Um, you know, you, you talked about when I went to ABC with Brent Musburger. I worked with Keith Jackson. Come on, wow. you know it doesn't get any yeah. better than Keith. And and then you know Al Michaels, and then you know being able to work with Dick Enberg for a couple of years. Yes. And then for ten years working with Ian Eagle had had been just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, so you know you, yeah, I could even throw in Jack Buck, not Joe, Jack Buck. Jack way Buck. Back wow. Then. Yeah. See, that's a, I didn't know? realize. Yeah, these are terrific. These are great voices. And terrific play-by-play broadcasters. So, yeah, I could see why why you enjoyed it so much. So you're not retired, right? You're just kind of on hiatus. Is that what we say in Hollywood? That, uh... Well, um, I, I'm on protocol. <laughs> okay. we're, we're, on, we're on standby. All right. Well, I, I enjoyed yeah. uh, the conversation as always. I always enjoyed listening to you and, of course, watching you play. And uh, to stay in good health. And, uh, and stay in touch. We hope to uh, hope to talk again soon. I hope we have a great NFL season. Well, listen, it was a, a pleasure being on with you, Chris. I enjoy listening to you, and uh, best of luck to you as well. All right, you take care. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to CMI, the Chris Myers interview. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.